service. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis. Dear Young Rocker, Not all kids get to go to a cool, supportive rock camp full of others who look like them and teachers who encourage their growth. I know that fact well. I remember the terror of being the only girl in my enormous high school who wanted to play in a rock band or even wanted to listen to the kind of music that I did. Being a tomboy who listens to grunge was actually a pretty lame and outdated niche in the early 2000s. I'm still not quite sure how I ever got the guts to learn the bass and get myself in a band. And even when it did happen, I definitely didn't magically have a huge group of cheering fans. But I'm grateful as hell that my parents were at least on board with me being in a band with all boys once I was, in their opinion, old enough. I know there are so many people out there who don't ever get that support from their family or friends or even within themselves to get over the immense hurdle of starting to play music. Maybe they just play in their rooms alone, and maybe they never even dare pick up a guitar at all for fear of looking like a beginner. Of course, their gender or race or anything else about them can compound that fear of standing out. My advice to anyone who doesn't feel supported is to stop looking for support from those who just aren't going to give it to you and make new friends until you find ones who are totally psyched to support you because they've been there too. We are out here, I promise. Someone else I know who's been there is Shannon Shaw. If you aren't familiar with the music of Shannon and the Clams, the only thing I can say to you is please fix that. And if you are familiar, you'll be pretty amazed to learn in the following story that this incredibly talented songwriter didn't start playing and singing at a young age or go to music school. She actually had so much working against her mentally that it's almost a miracle it happened. Like our last guest, Claire Ghost, it wasn't until Shannon was suddenly feeling very alone and at a major crossroads as a young adult that she finally sat down and wrote her first song. But then again, just as with every rocker featured on this show, we're proving that if you have music in your blood, it really just won't let you rest until you find a way to let it out. I'm honored to introduce you all to the wonderful Shannon and this incredible piece of writing she's created for you. Content warning here for a brief mention of a family member being physically abusive and for body image issues slash fat shaming. My name is Shannon Shaw, and my pronouns are she and her. 
Dear young rocker, you hail from the sun-soaked, fruit-tree, and vineyard-clad country of East Napa County, California. You spent your childhood waking to the rooster's cry, breaking the morning silence, and fell asleep to the unsettling scream of the peacocks from the feather farm down the road. The air is perfumed with a jumble of cow and horse manure, blackberries, licorice plants, damp walnut orchards, and motor oil. You felt isolated but comfortable here. Your journey to becoming a musician was a unique one as you were raised out in the sticks and a Mormon. Your mother was a Jack Mormon whose internal battles with misogyny from her religion affected and limited your view for many years to come. She always wanted you to be empowered and to not take shit from anyone. Hold your head up high and be proud of who you are and where you come from. She also regularly bolstered many sexist views and passed her body shame out to you, regularly comforting you with the idea that your fat was baby fat and would soon be gone. When you'd get the stomach flu or food poisoning, she got excited because she felt it was a great way to start a diet. She made it crystal clear that her idealized perfect beauty was one of the utmost value and very hard to reach. Your first memory of her is when you're in a stroller, watching her train her horse, Kymus. She and another trainer get into a fight over horse etiquette and it turns physical. The woman in turquoise spandex and high muddy boots, your mom in socks and Birkenstocks with the cork heels smashed and worn away, grappling as you watch on. Don't take shit from anyone. Your mom divorces your dad and starts dating. She gets her jaw wired shut and starts taking diet pills, trying to chase the dream of her vision of her true self from her 20s. She dates them, lazy, condescending losers. A running theme was them commenting negatively on mom's ample rump and jiggling thighs. She giggles and bats her lashes and seems to prefer the ones that are the cruelest. When she gains weight again, she stops dating. She doesn't want them to see her like this and doesn't feel worthy. She skips high school reunions, family gatherings, until she's thin once more. She goes back on diet pills, tries a liquid diet, and dates again. You and your brothers watch her transform back and forth into this strange teenager, eager to impress these shitbags. So, take shit from men? Your brothers were all Boy Scouts, like good Mormons. You were so envious that they got to learn all of the survival skills, build derby cars, collect badges, pick up old Christmas trees, and hunt for forgotten ornaments and wear cool uniforms. You find out that Boy Scouts of America just started to allow girls, so you beg to apply. She says, absolutely not. You will make the boys feel weird and ruin their good time. Boys act differently when girls are around, after all. So you start begging to become a Girl Scout. She says, absolutely not. That is the most sexist group on the planet. You have to wear a skirt, sell cookies, and make crafts? Not her daughter. The mixed messages are shaping you. Age 10, you started to feel ugly, dull, and forgettable. 
rat gray brown hair, gapped front teeth, freckles, and beginning to chunk up is what you begin to see daily. Lost in the shuffle of a divorce drama and all the middle child feelings you feel forgotten. You often looked into the mirror and try projecting your mother's confidence and beauty into the reflection, but what you get in return are dark voices echoing, reminding you of all the ways that you don't possess any aspect of your mother's coveted and unattainable rare beauty. You start to see the person in the mirror as unworthy, someone who should hide until they change. Your brothers are deeply charming, intelligent, and impressive. She's in love with Patty's sparkly blue eyes. Where did he get those? Golden curls? Wow. She loves Dan's dimples, athleticism, light brown eyes, and glossy mahogany bowl cut. Jason's shoulders? Wow, like a football player, built just like his dad. You have these exclamations memorized, wondering where yours are. You too fawn over their attributes and long to have your own. In the mirror, you turn to the side and see the waistband of your Guatemala shorts squeezing so that some pudge falls over. You remember that the next time you get the stomach flu, it should help you start to lose that roll. You turn and see the freckles that cascade down the right side of your jawline and the mole on your chest. For a moment, they make you feel close to your grandmother who shared the same pattern on her face. The echo returns to remind you that when you get older, those can be removed. Don't worry about all that baby fat will go away when you're grown and you can bleach that mousy hair. Maybe your eyes will even lighten up. Jason's did. Shortly after your parents' divorce, your uncle, who was a blues and rock and roll guitar legend, moved in. He played in the Fantabulous Jags and Captain Beefheart and lauded regularly within your family. In fact, your grandfather was an upright bass player, two of your uncle's guitarists, and your cousin is a slap master at bass. Your brother's bass and guitar. Musicians are valued of the highest importance in your family. Mom lets Uncle Richard stay with you when he falls on hard times. Recently banned from Canada, he travels to California with a suitcase and a guitar in order to put his clean freak skills to use in exchange for a bed in the garage. He is not nice. In fact, he's cruel and referred to you and your brothers as swine. He open hand slapped you in the face for eating a cracker in the living room once. It was so hard it knocked you over while you were watching Total Recall. As shocking as it was to now be in the presence of a violent, hateful control freak, he was once a little bit famous and a man, so you defaulted to respecting him. Mom was now working full-time at the mental institution and going to night school. She was so exhausted every day that you didn't want to stress her out with any home drama. Living with him sucked. It did. But there was one perk. At night, he would sit in the garage where he stayed and shred guitar. What a mysterious freak. Everyone in your family hated him, feared him, yet worshipped him for his talents. When you heard the amp warm up and begin to buzz, you and your brothers would sneak out on tiny tiptoes in the cold, wet grass in order to get a peek at the living legend. He is wrinkled yet golden, with deep red undertones and jet black slicked back hair. 
He wore the kind of slippers you get in jail, cut off short jean shorts and a white undershirt, his daily uniform. He could be a villain and certainly looked the part. But when his gnarled fingers danced on the strings, a different person would float out of that guitar and fill the room. He became someone that you had empathy for and wanted to be near. This was one of the first moments where you could feel someone's pain, their life story, experience their spectrum of emotions just through their music. It felt like going from a flat drawing of a diamond and then seeing it become three-dimensional. You now see the facets and the light screaming off one plane and another plane just below it pitch black your first glimpse of the power of music. Your other Uncle Tommy also played guitar and played in a Beach Boys cover band called the Pump Boys. They would play at the Gilroy Garlic Festival every year in the late 80s and 90s. You thought they were massively famous. You even had a signed photo of the band on your wall. Uncle Tommy didn't play with his soul like Richard. He played for joy and connection. He looked like it felt so good on top of the world. And every summer, you and your brothers and mom would pack up the 1992 red Chevy Suburban and drive up to the Trinity River, where your family had a scrappy little piece of land. The highlight of the trip was tubing down the glacier melt-fed river with Tommy's six children and other cousins, followed by a bonfire and the acoustic guitar. Uncle Tommy would hold court and played Donovan, The Beatles, Mamas and Papas, and old cowboy songs that reminded him, Mom, and your aunts of their dad. The women in the family are not huggers. They are not very emotional, other than boasting and humor, with their talent for storytelling and reminiscing. When the cowboy songs began, another side of the women burst out. Mom would sing alto, Aunt Corleen soprano, And with the sweet, wavering, imperfect choir voices, they would sing, Jack was just a cowboy. With tan bony hands, up and conducting to no one, tears in their eyes, you could see them savoring their feelings of their long-lost beloved father and experiencing connection and catharsis through just a song. All the kids would sway back and forth around the fire, the girls singing backups and harmonizing together. The only times you saw sweet and tender emotions from the women in your family were when they were singing together. You never felt like you belonged with them, any of them. You felt like you were watching them on TV. You loved seeing this happy, beautiful family singing together, emoting together. You loved getting a peek into your mom and aunt's hidden side, turning their diamond in order to get a better view. The wheels begin to turn. You wanted to play an instrument and sing so badly, just like them. You were haunted by heavy emotions that needed an exit from inside. You wanted to be loved and share the gift of music like Uncle Tommy, the hero of the sparkling fire. You wanted to be free and let your tears roll and call upon the past loved ones like Mom and Corleen, bonded forever by song. You wanted to be free like Uncle Richard and release that black smoke that churns inside. 
the idea of you playing music felt far-fetched. You thought you didn't fit the ideal image of a musician. Your mother, TV, church, society deemed valuable. However, watching your family share this moment lit a fire inside of you. For a few more years, you would enjoy them on the TV of your mind, too afraid to join in and just be a dedicated fan. After all, what fat, gap-toothed, freckled girl plays any instruments? Never seen that before. You thought you never ever would or could, but your dreams changed. They were music-focused now, and they possessed you. You started to see yourself on a stage, playing a guitar, dressed as free as a bird, emoting and sharing the gift of music with fans who desired the same escape. It felt right. As you grew into your teens, your skin got thicker. You started to embrace the nicknames like G.I. Ho, you had a penchant for camo, and lesbian witch, no explanation needed. You figured out a way to turn the insults into armor. You felt proud of being different and loved having music as a major part of your identity. You'd go to local shows at the VFW Hall or the Boys and Girls Club and be there hours early in order to try and help the band load in and then stand in the front row headbanging. You wanted to be a big part of the music scene in any way that you could. You didn't like most of the music, but you loved being a part of it, inside of it. Maybe it was screamo or rap rock. It didn't have to be good. It just had to be genuine and coming from a real place for you to feel it and celebrate it. Sweaty and ears ringing, you'd wait for the bands to come out after the show so you could try and carry their heavy amps for them, get them to sign your wrinkled paper flyers. These moments were so important to you. You still couldn't see yourself up on the stage, but it was your desire. At 15, your boyfriend gave you a bass guitar. You were in so much shock. Why would he waste his money on you? Why would he give you this object you couldn't use? You imagined it being a cool prop in your room. When guys came over, they could play it, you thought. It would take you 10 more years to realize that he really saw desire in you to actually play and full confidence in you that you could do it. In 10 years, you would. 10 years later, you were living in Oakland, where you'd gone to art college. You'd moved into a tiny, disgusting apartment with a guy who you busted cheating on you secretly the past six months with a friend. He'd been funneling away the money you paid him those six months toward rent and bills, leaving you with a large debt and a broken heart destitute and unsure of how you could make it through this bleak period and afford to stay in school, you often found yourself sitting in the apartment, in the dark, eyes closed, listening to music to evade the depths of depression. At this time, it was nothing but girl groups, new wave and punk, voices that could emulate true pain, evoke the full spectrum of loneliness, agony, depression, fun, excitement, and joy. You believed and understood the voices, whether they were screaming with a shredded voice or singing with the wall of sound. You wanted to put that talent in a pill and swallow it. Instead, melodies started coming to you, 
mostly while driving in the car or sitting on the couch with eyes closed, a melody would swim into your mind, like a little kite tail you were trying to grasp in the sky. Once sitting on the couch, that kite tail was whipping around your mind and a few words popped in, fitting in a lovely way with the music you heard. I wish that was a real song that I could listen to right now, you thought. You became haunted by this tune. You wanted to drink it, be it, inhale it. It nagged at you. You needed to hear it so badly because it was the absolute essence of what you were going through. That's when you noticed that bass, sitting in the corner waiting to be played. It was covered in dust, rusted strings from no use in 10 years. You pulled it out and plopped it in your lap and began to plunk around on the thick ribbed metal strings till you found a note, an actual note, the first note of your seemingly unattainable song. Your life the rest of the semester is picking out notes and writing songs. You figured out a way to write down your music by naming the strings and frets and develop your own musical language. You still can't even tune, but in a few months you have multiple songs with lyrics. You have no plans for them, but it's your obsession. Your fingers hurt so bad and are so blistered, you had to wear a leather glove to keep playing through the pain fingers. You get up the courage to show your brother some songs and it's a shock and how well received you are. They encourage you to play them for others at open mic nights. It's terrifying, but you do it. Every Wednesday, you play at the Starry Plow. It feels safe because the crowd's anonymous strangers. And they aren't paying much attention to you, mostly waiting for their turn to play. However, you start to have a tiny following of your brothers and some Napa friends. You start playing more open mics all over the Bay Area and eventually start getting asked to play parties. Too chicken shit to play in front of your peers. You asked a few people you recently met at school to accompany you and voila, you have a band. Suddenly the band starts to help you gain confidence and contribute vibe to songs and to fill them out. They sing backups. It begins to sound more and more how you want it to. Suddenly it feels like you're falling, but in a good way. You're on a train and boy is it moving fast. Your new confidence makes you want to finally feel comfortable tapping into the things you've always wanted to try but couldn't before. The rejection, disapproval, and cool comments echo in your head and make you embrace them again, but even harder. You have thin, droopy hair. You want it big, so you start making it big. Tease it. Collect hair from your brushes and make your own falls like they did in the 1960s. You wish you could wear mini skirts and vintage party dresses like Ronnie Spector. They don't make it in your size? Have no money? No worries, cut the sleeves off a t-shirt, turn it inside out and make a tube skirt. Throw an apron over the top and you've got a DIY party dress. Can't find heels in your size? Look in the old lady catalogs, they've got them. Spray paint them, glue googly eyes all over them. Do what you want, make it happen. You finally cracked the code at how to be who you want to be. It's as simple as just doing it. Like you got one thing right and sometimes that's all there is to it.
as a kid, you thought only special people got to do things like play in bands. That's partially true. Playing music is special, but anyone can do it. Music didn't come naturally. In fact, you were discouraged from doing it. You just have to have the drive, desire, discipline, and dedication. The ability to keep at it and follow through is what makes you special. Having lessons is amazing. Being self-taught is amazing. It took years to turn this into your profession, but you never lose sight of your humble beginnings and the lifelong struggle and emotional payoff that music awards you. You treasure the hard times that reveal this reality to you. Rocker, you're gonna encounter haters, sexist, racist, elitist snobs. A lot of people are taught to tear each other down and find ways to feel superior to others. Sometimes it works out for them, but they're forever hollow. You are not hollow. You will rise above and open your arms wider and invite in the people who are in the position you were in and help them find their voice. Every scene has plenty of straight white men, so branch out and support everyone else. You will always be so, so, so much more than a chick in a band. Be open-minded to all kinds of music and people and stay genuine, meaning have your songs mean something when you write them. Be very open to constructive criticism, but only from the right people. You had a lot of men telling you to drop the band, hire pros, and stop playing bass because you weren't good enough and should just focus on singing. You will fight through it because you aren't doing this for them. You're doing it for you and for others who need to find their voice like you did. Surround yourself with people who lift you up always. If business isn't your strength, as it isn't for many artists, Always have some trustworthy, business-minded pals read contracts and help you understand it. Don't be afraid to take notes and ask questions. Always ask questions and don't be afraid or ashamed. It's how we learn and grow. Don't be afraid to fuck up for the same reasons. The harder we mess up, the larger we grow if we embrace it. A lot of this refers back to your mother. And I want to say that it's okay and very healthy to be able to pinpoint where and how you got twisted as a kid. However, you have the utmost compassion for her because what she puts onto you was put onto her. She's grown while watching you grow and is now incredibly proud of how you've kicked through the glass cage of misogyny and body shame that you were put in early on. She roots for you and respects your voice and envies your power. And in a way, you made it possible for her to start cracking her own cage. I'm rooting for you, Rocker. As I told Shannon when we were done recording this, I had a tear or two in my eye at the end of the story. She worked very hard on the writing for literal months, and it's clear in the result how deeply she dug to get to the real root of what these DYR stories are all about. 
I had to ask her, of course, about how her experience was writing this. Um, my process for working on Dear Young Rocker was definitely an emotional roller coaster. It took me so much longer to do it than I thought it would, and it definitely um, I made myself open up some old wounds and definitely explored a lot of ideas that I hadn't even given myself a chance to process before. And um, yeah, it, it was really good though. Very good. And I feel like writing this, these things out that somehow I've never felt the urge to write about may did make me understand myself more, made me understand, uh, Definitely uh, how I got interested in writing. These are all things that I kind of took for granted, assumed I understood why I did this stuff, how I got into it. I thought I knew, but it wasn't until I really had to lay it out and make it uh, readable for someone else or listenable to someone else um, where I had to like pare it down and simplify really is what kind of stir up the real the real answers. And that, that really did surprise me. Kind of surprised me when I started to delve into uh, the relationships with uh, like the value of talent and musicians in my family. That really, I didn't even quite understand that until I wrote about it. Um, and that's just given me so much food for thought. Shannon's band, Shannon and the Clams, recently announced a new album coming out soon called Year of the Spider, and I had to ask her about the name and if the songs were recorded during the pandemic. And the answer was both terrifying and fascinating. They're actually not pandemic songs, which is bizarre because they echo so many experiences I had in 2020. Like I felt like a lot of it was sort of looking into the future or preparing me for when the real shit hits the fan. Like I thought my 2019 was really rough and 2020, it just kind of felt like this weird game the universe was playing, but I found a way to get into it. We finished recording the record like a week, five days before shutdown, um, something like that. It was really, really wild. But um, the album, I just feel like it, it's like I wrote it in 2020. A lot of like uh, subconscious foreshadowing at the feeling of doom that so many of us felt. I feel like incredibly proud of the record. It's definitely very personal, and uh, I feel like there's a lot of growth in it. I have a fear that I, I like can't grow. I don't know why, but I feel like as long as I keep working and being introspective and being open to um, change, like there's no way that you wouldn't keep growing. Oh, the album is called Year of the Spider. Um, cause I've got like a serious, pretty serious arachnophobia. I've just always kind of thought of the spider as the, the worst thing that could come toward me. And, uh, 
you know, it affects me so physically. Like it really has been a, a repeat offender in my life. But my mother has always told me that spiders are drawn to me. She's not woo-woo at all. But she says that they have always, always come to me and like would drop in front of my face like in the bathtub randomly as a little kid or be in my bed or just drawn to me more than others in, in her life. And um, I think I always held on to that in this really negative uh, way. But I, um, I recently had a full circle moment where I went through a lot in 2019 into 2020. I had a peeping Tom from uh, fall of 2019 until July of 2020 when I moved away. And there was like nothing could be done. We had night watches. We had cameras everywhere, security lights. Uh, I filed police reports. Um, I met with, I made friends with nine other women in my neighborhood who he'd been stalking and we got together and we're trying to like come up with all these ways to keep ourselves safe. And I mean, the police are useless and we're just not helpful. So I just kept thinking about spiders the whole time. I think, cause I was just scared all the time. And the, the thing with the peeping Tom, like when I would, he would make these animal sounds outside my window and, um, it would just give me that same horrible feeling that I get when I'm like seeing a spider on the end of my bed. I uh, have this astrologist that I love that I talk to about once a year. Again, I'm not super woo woo, but I'm not anti. I'm open and I'm just kind of like always, I'm trying to open my mind up more and more the older I get. And he's been an incredible, uh, helpful force in my life at just like reframing it looking and looking at things differently. And she told me I needed to, when I'm feeling helpless and powerless in situations, she wanted me to try and channel a goddess. And I was like, a god, I don't, I don't know any goddesses, you know, like ever since I stopped being Mormon, I tried to just avoid all religious things. And so that of like harnessing a, a goddess strength was very new to me. And I was like, I don't know what she means, but you know, she gives good advice. So I'll give it a try. And then she emailed me and was like, actually don't do any more research. I found the perfect goddess for you. And she had me read up on Durga. Who's, do you know who that is? She's a Hindu goddess. She's incredible. You've seen, there's tons of very beautiful art of her. She rides a tiger and she's a protector of this village where this um, demon, like demigod, came and was destroying the village. And so the villagers manifested this goddess named Durga, who has eight arms. And in each hand, she has a different weapon. And she basically slays this demon. So I started like feeling like a panic attack coming on. And I would just like imagine Durga. And it really, it honestly really did help. And um, after a while, I was like, holy shit, she has eight arms. I'm like constantly thinking about spiders. And maybe I'm just like looking at them wrong. You know, spiders are creators. And 
pretty fierce and maybe I need to reframe that. So it's been like really um, interesting full circle reframing, mind reframing kind of a couple of years for me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a good thing. I think it was the universe gently first was gently encouraging me to leave Oakland. And then it was like a big kick in the butt and was like, get the fuck out and start over. So please watch out for the new Clams album, Year of the Spider, and listen to the five others they have out in the meantime, please. When I asked Shannon for some organizations she might want to shout out, she had a whole list, including Punks with Lunch, whose name I really like and does exactly what it says, distributing lunches by punks (laughs) to people who need them, Uh, Basic Rights Oregon, Stroll PDX, and the NAACP PDX. Well, that wraps up the third season of Dear Young Rocker. I want to again thank all of this season's contributors. You all did so amazing. Every single episode felt like my favorite one for one reason or another. And I really have to thank my loyal listeners for staying tuned and supporting me and the other people who make this show. Please keep hanging out on Instagram at Dear Young Rocker to see what's next. I don't even know what that is yet, but I love you guys. Take care. Dear Young Rocker comes to you from Double Elvis and iHeartRadio. It's executive produced by Jake Brennan of Disgraceland. It was created and is produced, written, and hosted by me, Chelsea Erson. I also created the theme song. Colin Fleming helps with sound design and mixing, and Auto Clamor provides editing and production assistance. If you enjoy this podcast, please, please let me know by sending in a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also hang out with me virtually by following at Dear Young Rocker on Instagram. Please do not hesitate to send me a message there. And also follow Double Elvis for news about all of our new cool music podcasts. And if you'd like some snazzy DYR buttons or a t-shirt, go to doubleelvis.com shop. As always, the best thing you could ever do for this show is to share it with someone who you think would like it or just everyone you've ever met. Thanks, rockers. Dear Young Rocker is a production of iHeartRadio and Double Elvis Productions. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.